So I know uh, some of you might be a little young to uh, be able to relate to this, but does anyone, has anyone here ever had a near-death experience? Has anyone ever had, an, okay, a few of you, near-death experience. I've had a couple of near-death experience. One of them is not really a near-death experience, but it's kind of funny. So uh, this past winter, springish winter during TGR week, we were at Sky Zone, and after we left Sky Zone, a few of us were going to go get a bite to eat at Chick-fil-A, and uh, my GPS decided to take me through Pilgrim Psych Center. If you're not familiar with Pil- Pilgrim Psych Center, it's like Chernobyl, but creepier. It's actually the creepiest place on earth. So, and it was about like 8, 30, 9 o'clock at night, so I'm driving alone in my car through the Chernobyl of Long Island, through Pilgrim Psych Center, and uh, my brother brother is in the car behind me, and I am freaking out. I'm in the middle of Pilgrim Psych Center. I'm like, I am going to die. Someone is going to jump out with a machete and kill me. And uh, after I freaked out for a few uh, seconds, I had this sobering peace come over me. And I thought, you know what? It's a ride or die kind of night. Me and my brother are going to go out swinging. I was like, brothers in life, brothers in death. Come on, we're going to go out together. And uh, I was being a little overdramatic because I was in a car and I got away fine. It was, it was not a big deal at all. Uh, an actual near-death experience that I had. I was upstate with my family, and we'd invited my buddy Kyle up to go with us. And I was in high school, and when I was in high school, I thought longboarding was really cool. Joey liked to ride scooters when he was in high school. I was way cooler, and I rode longboards. Um, and so we had these huge hills upstate uh, where cars really wouldn't be. And so we thought it would be so cool to get to go down these huge hills and go super fast. One thing we didn't really realize was that uh, when you do that on a skateboard or a longboard, you have to make sure that the trucks on the board are super tight. Otherwise, you'll get what's called speed wobbles. So we start bombing this huge hill. And I'm not kidding. We are going as fast as cars down this hill, like 40, 50 miles an hour. And my board starts violently shaking like crazy. I mean, my board is going nuts. And, I, and I'm in nothing but shorts, a T-shirt, and a, and a light helmet. And I look to my left, and there's pavement. I look to my right, and there's a steep uh, incline into a body of water. And it legitimately crossed my mind that I was going to die. Like I looked, the end of the hill was not in sight, and I'm like, this is the end. I'm gonna die. And I freak out for a little bit, and again, I have this sobering moment where I'm like, you know what? I'm gonna die, and I'm okay with that. And, and it was deep stuff from a 15-year-old right there, like deep accepting death in the moment. Of course, I was fine. I made it down to the bottom of the hill and kind of coasted up a hill, and we were fine, and we got off our boards, and thank God that we were okay. Um, but those moments make me think about what my last words would have been. Not in the moment, because my last words in the moment probably would have been screams and stuff I was embarrassed to say. But, but what would my parents have remembered me saying? What would my friends have remembered me by? What would my last words have been? And uh, I don't know if you've ever thought about last words, but they can be something that people take really seriously. When people, uh, loved ones pass away, people cling on to the last words that they remember from a loved one. They cling on. Sometimes they find hope in the last words. Sometimes they find pain in the last words that a loved one leaves behind. We look to last words for legacy. We think that last words will, will leave something of us behind on earth after we die. I think about some famous last words from history. I think about uh, Todd Beamer. Some of you might not even know who that is. Todd Beamer was a passenger on Flight 93 during 9-11. And Flight 93 was a plane where uh, we actually don't know where they were trying to go. 
And uh, Todd had organized a group of passengers to actually rush the cockpit and take over the plane from the terrorists and rescue hundreds, if not thousands, of lives. And on a phone recording of someone calling their wife to say goodbye, you can hear Tom in, Todd in the background say, all right, guys, it's time. Let's roll. And those are his last words. And, and you can find those words at 9-11 memorials. Todd is an American hero, and he's remembered by those words, let's roll. I think of Nathan Hale, a patriot who, before he was executed, said, I only regret that I have but one life to lose for my country. Last words can etch you into history. They cement you in your legacy. But last words also do something else. I think last words reveal what it is that's important to us. Last words can reveal what is valued by our hearts. In our dying breath, what, we, what comes out of our mouth is what's so important to us. I don't know if you've ever thought about your last words. And I, I wouldn't blame you if you haven't. You're young, that's fine. But do you think about what's important to you? Do you think about what would be your last words? Do you think about what is so valuable to you? Um, I don't think it's wrong to discover what's valuable to you. I don't think it's wrong. I think it's actually a good thing. Uh, one way that I feel like I would always see that when I was uh, in, in um, high school in youth group, we used to play this icebreaker game. It was, it was like a, it was a stupid game. But you bring a couple people up on stage and you say, all right, you're going to be sent to a deserted island. You can bring three things with you. What are you bringing? Go. And, and there would always be a couple people that would try and like win the game, even though it's not really a game you can win. There'd be like the survival guy who's like, okay, bro, look, I'm bringing a bow and arrow. I'm bringing a water purification set, and I'm bringing a prefabricated house. I'm going to build me a beach house on this island, all right? And you're like, dude, you're not trying to win the game. You're just like, it's a fun game, okay? I was the guy who's like, I'm bringing my guitar, all right, I'll probably die within a week, but at least I'll be playing guitar. Like, that was me. That was what I wanted to do. But when I was in youth group, I always saw the same answer come up. Everyone would first be like, well, of course, got to bring my Bible. Like, like of course, my scriptures, mm -hmm, my holy Bible. I got, I got to bring my holy Bible, like, everyone. And you were like, it's so fake, bro. Like, you're looking through it, and everyone's like, I got to bring my Bible. And you're like, no, you're not. Like, push comes to shove, you're not bringing your Bible. And, like, I know, like, if when I was in high school, middle school, if a dude rolled up in a black van and was like, get in, you're going to a desert island. Like, I'm not bringing my Bible, bro. Like, I'm be real. In high school, I wouldn't have done it. And, and I bet that some of you might be in a similar spot. And I don't want to make you feel bad about that. Like, I think you and I are actually in similar spots. Because when I was in high school, it was never really communicated to me like, why I would bring my Bible to a deserted island. As crazy as that sounds, like, why is the Bible that important? Why would you be that obsessed with it? Why would you want to bring it with you? That was never communicated to me. And I would imagine that you guys are in a similar spot, that maybe that's never actually been communicated to you. Like, maybe we've actually, as a culture, lost the reason why the Bible is so important. Like, back in the day, before any of us were alive, the Bible was seen as this, like, Huge authority on life, huge authority on morality, and for some reason, we've lost that. We've lost the reason why we would even care about the Bible. And so maybe if I asked you and you were honest with me, you'd say, I don't know, my, my, my parents seem to think it's important. 
or the people who get up on the stage seem to think it's important. My school, I go to a Christian school, that they th- seem to think it's important. So the Bible must be important. But shouldn't there be a reason that's deeper than that? Like, shouldn't there be a deeper reason why the Bible is important? Why the Bible matters, why you would take it on a deserted island, why anyone would talk about the Bible in their last words, in their dying breath. Um, if you're here tonight, and you're not a follower of Jesus, you wouldn't call yourself a Christian, um, you probably have some preconceived notions about the Bible. You probably have some ideas about the Bible that you've carried in here tonight. And maybe uh, you got them from TV or from your friends or from school or from your parents. And what I'm going to ask of you tonight as we explore this question of why the Bible is important, I'm going to ask you that you put those to the side. I'm going to ask you that for tonight, you take all your previous ideas about the Bible and you lay them down and you open yourself up to saying maybe there's something about this that I'm missing. Maybe there is something about the Bible that I'm not getting. And I I really do hope and I believe that we're going to see something new about the Bible, that you're going to see the Bible for something different than you've ever seen it before tonight. Tonight, we're going to be looking at some famous last words. We're going to be looking at the famous last words of one of the most famous biblical writers ever. His name was Paul. He wrote the majority of the New Testament. He has this crazy testimony where he went from killing Christians to becoming a Christian and actually traveling and preaching the Christian message. We're not talking about just like a a regular old Christian guy here. I mean, we're talking about the man of Christianity. He planted churches. He wrote so many books of the Bible. If there's anyone whose last words I'd want to hear out, it's Paul's. And so the cool thing about Paul's writings is that most of his, pretty much all of his stuff that's in the Bible are letters. They're letters that he wrote sometimes to churches, letters that he would write to friends, And what we can do with them is we can actually take them and put them in a timeline of Paul's life. Some of them line up with the book of Acts. Some of them tell us straight out, you know, I'm here. I'm going to come over there. I'm going to do this now. And so we can actually take and make a timeline of Paul's life using his letters. And so we actually know what his last letter is. And more than that, it wasn't just some last letter like he wrote it and then he got out and he got hit by a bus and it just happened to be his last letter. Like, no, like he's writing it from a prison cell where he says right off the bat, I'm waiting to be executed. For all intents and purposes, these are the last words that Paul ever said. Like, we don't know anything after this last letter. We don't know anything. These are Paul's last words. And we'll make it even more gut-wrenching, even more heart-wrenching, is that he wasn't writing to a church. He wasn't writing to some Christian organization. He was writing to his close friend. He was writing to his buddy, Timothy. Timothy was a guy he had picked up on a missionary journey. He had taught Timothy everything he knew about preaching the Christian message, and he actually made Timothy like head pastor of one of his churches that he had planted. And so now he's writing Timothy about to die. And I would read these words... And something uh, recently just started to jump out at me over the last year or two. See, I used to read right over these words. And you probably have too if you've ever read 2 Timothy. But, but it started to jump out at me. He says to Timothy, um, make sure you come quickly because I'm going to die soon. And I really want to see you. And he says, when you come, be sure to bring the coat that I left at Carpus with Troas. Bring also my books and especially my papers. And you're like, Joe, what is this verse jumping out at you for? Like a book about a verse about papers and a book and a jacket. Like what is what does this have to do with anything? 
And see, the papers that he says, especially my papers, most theologians agree those are Paul's handwritten copies of the Bible. See, when you were in this time, you couldn't just go to a Christian bookstore and uh, buy a Bible. You couldn't just download the Bible app on your stone tablet. You actually had to go to the temple and read the Bible. Usually it was attached to a chain so you couldn't take it. And so what Paul probably did is he probably memorized his Bible and he wrote it down word for word. And so when he says to Timothy, bring me my papers, he's saying, bring me my copies of the Bible. Now why would Paul in a prison cell awaiting death, make his last request to Timothy, bring me my Bible. Like, why do you want to read the Bible, dude? You're going to meet God in a few days. Like, what are you, brushing up on your trivia? Like, God's favorite food is peanut butter and jelly. Like, uh, like I don't, like, why would a guy's last request be for his Bible? We're going to look at that tonight. And, and what I believe is that it wasn't a shock for Timothy to read that. See, because all before it, Paul is teaching him this lesson about the Bible. And so what I want us to do now, knowing that Paul's last words are a request for his Bible, I want to back up and take a look at Paul's last lesson to Timothy about what the Bible is, why it's important. And I think it was no surprise to Timothy that he asked for his Bible. And, I, and I'm going to walk us through that so it's no surprise to us. Starting in chapter 3, verse 10. He says, you, Timothy, certainly know what I teach and how I live and what my purpose in life is. You know my faith, my patience, my love, my endurance. You know how much persecution and suffering I have endured. You know all about how I was persecuted in Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra. But the Lord rescued me from all of it. Yes, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution, but evil people and imposters will flourish. They will deceive others, and they themselves will will be deceived. And Paul here is setting the stage for his final lesson with Timothy. He, he brings up good things. He says, hey, you know what I'm all about. And, Paul, and Timothy's probably remembering, oh, I remember those powerful sermons that he delivered. I remember the people that got saved. I remember the, the guy who probably couldn't walk and then he was healed and, and he walked out of there. And then he says, but you also remember the persecution that I faced. You remember how I was beaten. You remember how I was uh, thrown in prison. And if I'm Timothy, I'm like, dude, why are you doing this to me? Like, can't we just have a nice moment? This is your last letter to me, and you're bringing up all these painful memories. And then to make it worse, he's like, not only did I suffer that, but you're probably going to suffer that too. And I'd be like, yeesh, bro, come on. Like, what are you doing to me right now? But, but Paul loves Timothy so much that he's not going to beat around the bush. He's not going to sugarcoat the truth. He needs Timothy to know what's coming so that he could set up his final lesson to Timothy. Because look, he's, he sets the stage by saying, hey look, over here, all these evil people are going to rise up. They're going to flourish. You're going to face persecution. But watch what he says next. He says, but you must remain faithful in the things that you have been taught. He says over here is all the bad stuff. Over here, all the persecution, the evil people rising up. But you must be different from that. You have to remain faithful to the things that you've been taught. You know they are true. For you know you can trust those who taught you. 
You have been taught the Holy Scriptures from childhood, and they have given you the wisdom to receive the salvation that comes by trusting in, Jesus, in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. And so he takes all that negative and he spins it to bring Timothy to the positive, to say, you have to remember what you've been taught. He says, you have a wealth of wisdom in you that you were taught at an early age. And I know this isn't all of us, but some of us in the room tonight grew up in church. And some of us, whether we'd like to admit it or not, whether we know it or not, you have a wealth of wisdom inside of you that you have been taught over the years. And I'm not talking like deep biblical theology. I'm talking basic stuff. I'm talking 22-6 stuff. Like, like love other people. Don't lie. Stop gossiping. And you might think that's basic, but you got to learn to love the basic. Because basic is your best friend in this world. Basic is the building blocks to where you need to go. And Paul is saying to Timothy, hey, hold on to that basic stuff because without it, you won't be able to go where you need to go. God will take you to where you need to go on that basic stuff. And some of us in the room tonight have that. And we need to not let go of that. And then he kind of goes into this big statement. It's kind of like his thesis statement, so to speak, for this lesson. And he says, all scripture is inspired by God. It's useful to teach us what is true and make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. And he says, it's inspired by God. And to be inspired by God, for Scripture to be inspired by God, it's just a fancy way of saying it comes from God's own heart. It comes from God's mouth. It was written by men, but it's from the heart of God. And so the Bible is not this crusty old book. It's not this book that has no relevance to us. It's actually the words of a God who's still relevant, who's still active, who's still alive. And then he kind of breaks down into two points the foundational elements of what we're asking tonight. We've been asking, why is the Bible important? And he breaks it down into two foundational elements. One, the Bible teaches us what is true. I can't say it any clearer than that. The Bible teaches us what is true. And two, the Bible makes us realize what is wrong with our lives. So it's twofold. It teaches us what is true, and then it makes us realize what's wrong. And then what he says is that it actually corrects us, and it teaches us how to do the right things and stop doing the wrong things. And don't confuse this with faith or with works-based Salvation. I'm not saying that you do the right thing and then you go to heaven. I'm saying it's going to point out destructive, harmful behaviors and tendencies that we all have that will destroy you, that will ruin your life. And it will point those out and it will correct you and teach you how to live a better, more fulfilling life. And I, what I always think was funny about this passage is that Paul, who's like the man, is, is telling Timothy that there's a better teacher there for him. In his last lesson to Timothy, he's telling Timothy that there's a better teacher. And I don't know about you, like if you told me that I could be discipled by any one person from all of history, if we're excluding Jesus, because if Jesus is on the table, I'm taking Jesus. But, but if he's God and we can't, okay, we'll exclude Jesus from this one. If I could be discipled by anyone in history, I'm picking Paul, that's a, that's a no-brainer. 
Timothy doesn't even know how great of a teacher he has right here. But Paul is saying, hey, there's a better teacher here for you. And that's God through his word. Because it will show you what is true. It will show you what is wrong. And it will teach you to do what is right and stop doing what is wrong. And you and I have that teacher. And we actually have more of it than Paul and Timothy did. Because Paul and Timothy were living when the New Testament was written. And so it's kind of this paradoxical thing where you can't live and have the same Bible that's being written when you were living. So the New Testament actually didn't exist yet for Paul and Timothy. They had the Old Testament. We have the New and Old Testament. We have 27 more books than they did to learn from, to be taught by. We have the same teacher that Paul is talking about. And, and I want to break for a second and just talk to someone in the room who won't let go of this idea that the Bible is this crusty old book that has no relevance for them. Before we keep going, I want to break for one second and just talk to you. If that's you, uh, you are at odds with what the Bible says about itself or what Paul says about the Bible. Because when you're saying that the Bible is old, it's irrelevant, it's a dead book, it has no uh, meaning for me, the Bible says about itself that it's alive, that it's, it comes from a living God, that it, it will teach you, it will actually equip you. And so I want to get this idea started in your head right now, that if you lay those things aside and think that maybe the problem isn't with the Bible, but the problem is with your view of the Bible, you could even discover what the Bible really is. And, and I want to come back to this later, but I wanted to get this in your mind right now if that's you that you are at odds with what the Bible says about itself. So let's continue on in chapter 4, verse 1. I solemnly urge you, Paul writes, in the presence of God and Christ Jesus, who will someday judge the living and the dead when he comes to set up his kingdom. Wow, big intro. To preach the word of God. Be prepared, whether the time is favorable or not. Patiently correct, rebuke, and encourage your people with good teaching. For a time is coming When people will no longer listen to sound and wholesome teaching, they will follow their own desires and look to teachers who will tell them whatever their itching ears want to hear. They will reject the truth and chase after myths. But you should keep a clear mind in every situation. Do not be afraid of suffering for the Lord. Work at telling others the good news and fully carry out the ministry God has given you. And this is Paul's application phase. Like we just came out of Paul's explaining what the Bible is. Now Paul's explaining what does Timothy do with it? What do we do with the Bible? And what he's saying is he should share it with people. He should correct things around him. He should even rebuke. And what rebuke really means, it's, it's, it's like correction. But there is a, a confrontational aspect to it. There's that, there's that aspect of going to someone and saying, hey, um, what you're doing isn't okay. And uh, I think I want to help you and, 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 and guide you through uh, how to get back on the right track. But what's assumed in Paul's words here, as he's telling Timothy to go do that for others, it's assumed that Timothy is already having it done in his own life. See, people who live out the Bible, desire to help others live out the Bible. When you desire to live out the Bible, you will desire to help others live out the Bible. And so 
Paul wants Timothy to do this, but he also wants it being done in Timothy's own life. I think about these, like, these health nuts who just love like their diets and their workouts, and, and they find something that works for them, and they just can't stop telling everyone about it. They're like, yo, bro, I got this thing at LA, bro, RVT Fitness right now, dude. Like, I got this new workout regimen. You got to get on this, dude. I shed 50 last month, and they won't shut up about it because it worked for them, and they, they're passionate about it. No one is signing up for a workout, for a personal trainer plan with the guy who's out of shape. Like imagine being in LA and you're signing up for the, um, the personal trainer and they're like, oh, here comes your personal trainer now. And he like can't even make it up the stairs. He's like, what's up, man? My name's Hector. <laughs> oh, we're going to get you ripped, bro. <sighs> like no one wants to work out with that guy. No one's going to Hector. I'm ripping up that contract right now. No one wants to be taught by a guy who can't do it for himself. And it's the same thing that Paul's saying to Timothy. It's what he wants us to grasp is that some of us in the room are ready to start sharing. Some of us in the room are actually at an amazing place in your faith right now. And I want to encourage those of you who are, those of you who are mature beyond your years, that you are ready to actually start encouraging people. And actually uh, be uh, going alongside people in accountability and going alongside people in correction. But I think a lot of us in the room need to take a step back and make sure that we are having that done for us in our own life. Through our personal time in the word. Through the people that are around us. Speaking encouragement and accountability into our lives. See, and I, and I don't want you to feel bad if you feel like you're in that boat because I know full-grown adults who don't do that. I know full-grown adults who haven't got this concept down. And what they do is they think that they have to go out and correct and rebuke people, but they don't have that in their own life. So what you get is a hypocrite. That's called a hypocrite. Someone who goes around and says, hey, you need to do this. You're doing this wrong. But they have none of that in their own life. But here, the TGR, the green room, this is where we want to help you Do this thing. We want to help you cultivate this activity in your own life so that when you graduate, you're a force to be reckoned with. You're out there sharing. You're out there going alongside people in accountability, guiding them through rough times. And and I want you to know that no matter uh, where you're at, it's not too late. Like, it's just not. Whether you're just gotten to green room, you got your whole six, seven years ahead of you, or you're a senior and you only have a couple weeks left with us, it's not too late. We want to come alongside you as leaders. We want to help you get this thing going in your life so that you can be a force to be reckoned with for the gospel. Because a time is coming, and I believe it's actually here, that Paul talks about where people don't want to hear truth anymore. People don't want to hear what's in the Bible. Paul, Paul puts it, he wants to hear what will tickle their ears. He wants to hear, or people want to hear what they want to hear. And I believe we're in that time. I believe it's actually just going to keep getting worse. And what we need to do is we need to stay out of it by keeping a clear mind on the things of the word of God. And that means by meditating and and memorizing scripture. And then we also need to help others out of that mentality. And that comes through the sharing. That comes through the encouragement, through the correction, through the accountability. And so now more than ever, 
We need this. And I think what uh, the other principle that Paul's getting at here, it's very verbal. He's saying, hey, go out and share. Go out and talk to people. And what he's saying is what's on the forefront of your heart and on the forefront of your lips is what will affect the way that you act, the way that you behave. I'll put it this way. Uh, your talk affects your walk. Your talk affects your walk. And I'm, I'm not saying it's all one way or all the other, but if all you do is spew negativity, if all you do is talk and sow discord, then it's no wonder why your life reflects that. There was a time when I was in high school where I was listening uh, to this really terrible music. I'm not one of those people who think you can only listen to Christian music. I love all, a lot of kinds of different music. But I was listening specifically to this really terrible music, and it began to affect my words. So I began to just speak crassly, to curse, and to uh, just not be speaking the way that I should have been speaking. And then it started to affect my behavior. And I began to hate the way that I was behaving. And so I ended up tracing it back to the music. And once I cut the music out, and then I cut the speech out, and then my behavior kind of started to follow suit again. The way that you talk affects your walk. If you are speaking truth, if you are meditating and focusing and, and just sharing the message of the Bible, don't be surprised when your life follows suit. And I know plenty of hypocrites. I know plenty of people who talk one way and act the other. I'm not saying you don't have to have any control over your actions, but I am saying that your talk will affect your walk. And I think Paul is getting at that here. And that's how we help others avoid falling into this mentality that Paul is talking about, this self-serving, denying truth mentality. And Paul uh, wraps up and kind of begins to get into his last words to Timothy. In verse 6, he says, As for me, my life is already being poured out as an offering to God. The time of my death is near. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race, and I have remained faithful. And now the prize awaits me. The crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on the day of his return. And the prize is not just for me, but for all who eagerly look forward to his appearing. And if I'm Timothy, I'm probably heartbroken reading those words that my friend is going to die. But also, I imagine that Timothy was so proud of the way that his friend and father figure is dying. I was told a story once by my professor he was mentored by an older gentleman in his church when he was a college student. And um, he had been uh, in this mentor relationship for a number of years, and they had grown very close. And then uh, one of them had to move away to a different city. And so they remained close friends, but their mentor relationship had kind of faded away. Until one day when the mentor had received the news that he was going to die within a few months. He had a terminal illness. He was going to be dead within a few months. So him and his wife decided to pick up everything and move back to where my professor was living. And when they got there, my professor was like, why are you guys here? Like, I know you're dying. It's great to see you. But wouldn't you rather just be more comfortable at home? Why did you pick up and move? And I'll never forget this. He looked at him and he said, I've shown you how a Christian man is to act. I've shown you how a Christian man is to speak, to treat his wife, to care for his family. But now, I'm going to show you how a Christian man is supposed to die. 
And I'll never forget that. And I think that's exactly what Paul is doing for Timothy when he says, hey, bring me my Bible. Timothy is not seeing that as some sort of shock. He's not seeing that as some sort of surprise. He's saying, that's no wonder to me. He just wrote all this stuff about how important the Bible is. And now he wants it with him in his very last days on earth. The one thing that will bring him comfort in that jail cell is his Bible. So why should you value the Bible? Why should you read the Bible? Why should you live by the Bible? Because the Bible holds the perfect, unchanging, life-bringing truth for your life. And I'm talking about the truth of Jesus. I'm talking about how the Bible is 66 books written by 40 different authors over the span of 1,500 years with one central message. And that's the message of Jesus Christ. That God came to earth to live a perfect life and die a death on a cross, a death that we deserved so that he could rise again and set us free from those destructive behaviors, so that we could have this great teacher that is the wealth of knowledge, that is scripture, that will point us back to this one truth, the truth that Paul probably clinged to in that prison cell right before his death. The truth that Timothy probably clinged to when he knew that his longtime mentor was dead. The truth that we could cling to when we are feeling like all hope is lost, when we are on our deathbeds ourselves. Paul got it. Paul knew that all he needed was the Bible. And so what do we do from here? Like where do we go from here? I'm not just going to stand up here and tell you to read your Bible more. I've been told that a hundred times and it never helps. I'm not just going to stand here and say that to you. Um, This is a personal thing. This is something that you have to understand about yourself. When are you going to be able to read it? How are you going to be able to read it? What works best for you? And so this is a personal plan that you need to work out for yourself. But I am going to give you three tips, three general principles that I think you need to know. And I'm also going to encourage you in a little bit to ask for help. But the first principle, the thing that you need to know is the difference And the relationship of discipline and desire. See, I think discipline and desire are uh, are two separate sides of the same coin. And much of the time, we don't want to discipline ourselves in something that we don't desire. Like, why would you sign up for a sports team knowing that you have to go to practice every single day after school if you hate that sport? No one would do that. No one would want to discipline themselves in something that they don't desire. But at the same time, I feel like discipline breeds desire. I truly believe it because I've seen it happen. Discipline over time can become desire. Talk to anybody. One of those health nuts I talked about. Talk to anybody who goes to the gym. They probably hated it at first. It's hard. You don't see results right away. But over time, it becomes a desire of theirs where now they can't even go a week or a couple days without going to the gym. Discipline can breed desire in your life. And I think the same can be true about your Bible. There will be times where you don't want to read it. There will be times where you're not feeling it. And that's when your discipline needs to kick in. That's when you need to say, okay, but I'm going to do it because I know that this is truth that I can cling on to. The second thing I think you need to know is that your time in the Word is time with God. 
I, I like to call it my quiet time. People call it their devotional time. Whatever it is, you need to know that it's not just reading. It's not just something you check off of a list. But it's time that you actually spend with God. And that might mean praying, and not praying so that you can just ask for things, but praying because you want to talk to and be in communication with your Heavenly Father. That might mean uh, putting on a worship song in your room on your phone, not because it's a ritual that we do, but because worship is a way that we express our love to God. And reading is not just something that we do to learn head knowledge, but it's looking at a passage to say, okay, what does this say about God? What does it say about who I am? What does it say about what am I doing right? What are my areas that I need to work on? It's learning, it's equipping so that you can actually live a different life as a result of it. And finally, you need to be intentional. And what I really mean is uh, you might need to ask for help. And tonight, what I would love for you guys to do is to uh, come up after worship when we have our leaders here, and nothing crazy, just come to a leader and say, hey, what are some tips that you have for creating a personal plan for reading the Bible and quiet time? I can give you a couple, but I can't do it for you from here because it's such a personal thing. A couple recommendations. Guys, I recommend He Reads Truth. Com. Ladies, I recommend She Reads Truth. They're kind of counterparts. They have amazing devotionals that are written. Uh, take you five, ten minutes to read in the morning or at night, whenever you read. I recommend starting with a gospel, specifically John, if you're looking for a book of the Bible to read. But these are things that you got to work out on your own. And I encourage you not to do it alone, but to come up and ask for a little bit of assistance. Finally, if you're here tonight and you're not a follower of Jesus, actually my challenge to you is very similar. My challenge to you is that you first put aside everything that you once thought about the Bible. That you maybe take a second to consider the fact that maybe, just maybe, your view of the Bible is what's flawed. And that if you give it a chance, you will encounter the life-changing power that it holds. So my encouragement to you is to pick up the book of John specifically and begin reading it and pray and say even, hi to God, I don't know if you're real, I don't know if this Bible thing is is legit, but I just pray that if you are real and that if this Bible thing is true, that you would just do something and make it, reveal it to me. You'd make it known to me. And uh, if you want to start a conversation with God, I'm going to give you an opportunity to do that in just a second, but we need to Get the love for the Bible that Paul had and that only comes through a consistent time with God in his word. And it's my hope that you guys will take a step in that tonight. You guys can pray with me. Lord Jesus, I'm just so thankful to be here tonight. I'm so thankful to get to talk about your word, your gift to humanity. I pray, Lord God, that you speak to hearts of people to give some students' courage tonight to come up and ask for a little bit of help in in planning out their own quiet time. Lord God, I pray for those who might need the push to make that happen. If you're not a follower of Jesus and you want to start a conversation with God tonight, you can pray something like this. You can say, God, I don't know if you're real, but this guy up on stage seems to think that you are. So, If you are, would you reveal yourself to me in a way that you never have before? Would you make it so painstakingly obvious to me that you're real?
God, I just pray over all the hearts and minds tonight. I pray, Lord, that you would do something new, that you would do something powerful in the lives of these students through their time in the word, that they would value their time with you, that they would come out of discipline to desire time with you, and that you would work and power and change our youth group as a result of it. Lord, we love you. We pray all these things in your name.